today's scripture is from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, uh, two separate passages, the first one from chapter five, one through seven, and the second one from chapter 11, verses one through five, the first one beginning on page 552 in your pew Bible. Last week we read from the prophet Hosea, who prophesied of the Northern Kingdom about 750 years before Christ. The passage was about God as a divine father who could not give up on his child Israel. Isaiah wrote a generation later than Hosea and from the Southern Kingdom and is among the most popular prophets for Christians because of the prophecies that we feel relates to Jesus Christ, including the second reading of today's passage. Let us listen for the word of God, beginning with uh, chapter five, verses one through seven. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be tramped down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that there rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. Continuing with uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness, the belt around his loins. Here ends the reading and may God bless these words to our understanding. Thank you, Wilson. Please pray with me. Gracious God, may the words of my lips, may the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I did a sermon series on Old Testament Game of Thrones about the kings and princes of the Old Testament and the way their corruption teaches us important lessons about the nature of power and the need for democracy, rule of law, and accountability all with plenty of parallels to the fantasy series Game of Thrones. Now we are reading through the prophets. 
those who articulate God's vision of a just and righteous society. We started with Elijah, and last week we read from Hosea. This week we read from my favorite prophet, who is using my favorite metaphor for God, the gardener. When I was researching the Old Testament Game of Thrones series, I read an interview with George R.R. Martin, the author of the books. He was talking about his writing style compared to other writers. He said that there are writers who are architects. You know, they meticulously plan and engineer their narratives. They have blueprints mapping out everything, and they follow their own plans to an exact measurement. And then there's his style, which is frustrating for those of us who have been waiting eight years for him to finish a book. He's a gardener, and the gardener has a vision, and he has the seeds of his story. But his work is not the work of planning and measuring. It is the work of watering and weeding, tilling and pruning and waiting, so much waiting, and hopefully a harvest. You know, a lot of people think of God as primarily the great architect of the universe. He, and they usually see God as a he, set the laws of the universe and has a plan, a big blueprint for our world and where it's going. And some even think he has a detailed plan for each of our lives. And everything happens for a reason. Now, I don't want to disparage this view of God as it has a long history and scriptural evidence and can be helpful for some people to relate to God. But, but for me, personally, I relate best to the metaphor of God as a gardener. It better matches my experience of the world and my understanding of how God actually works. Both the architect, God the architect, and God the gardener, they both have a vision, right? A will for this world and for humanity in particular. But whereas God the architect has stones and timber that are easily manipulated, God the gardener is working with the dirt and the weeds that is human nature. We are stubborn, and we have a will of our own. We aren't sculpted exactly the way God wants us to be. Ask any parent raising a child. We are seeds growing in a field, living things that can be influenced and nurtured. But ultimately, the gardener does not have complete, total control. And look at today's passage. God does everything possible to ensure Israel's success. She picks a fertile field, tilled it, cleared it of stones, and planted only the best vines. She even ensures she has the right facilities and equipment. She builds a watchtower to protect her harvest and a wine vat to process the grapes. But when the harvest comes, God cannot find good fruit anywhere. Apparently when it comes to the wild nature of humanity, even God cannot ensure a good harvest. Now when Isaiah is saying Israel is bearing wild grapes, he's not judging individual people for their personal actions. He is talking about the social ills of Israel, a collective social order that is corrupt the Hebrew prophets were almost always more concerned 
with a just social order than they were with people's individual behaviors. It's systemic with the prophets, not interpersonal. It's not about being nice to your neighbor and always waving hello, although that's great. It's about making sure your neighbor has enough to eat and living in a society that is just and fair for everyone. The prophets care about justice for the poor, the widowed, the vulnerable. And they are harshest on the elites, those who are corrupting Israel with their greed and indifference. If you read on in chapter 5 of Isaiah, he speaks of the rich who buy up all the land so there is nowhere else for the common people to live. And the rich live alone on their estates. He speaks of those who flaunt the rule of law, acquitting the guilty for a bribe. He speaks of those who feast and get drunk and do not care about the will of God. These are the things that help produce the wild grapes. You see, God has a vision for us. God has a will for our society. And I'll tell you now, it's not one where families sleep in their cars because the rent is too high. It's not one where the environment is destroyed for profit. And it's not one where the rich escape justice while the poor fill our prisons. It's not the one where nuclear weapons are armed and ready to destroy millions of lives. You see, it's not just Israel that has borne bad fruit. God is still waiting for a righteous harvest. And again, this isn't an individual judgment. I know a lot of people, (laughs) I know many people in this room, who are bearing good fruit for the gospel. But in the eyes of the prophets, the prophets who judge us as a society and not as mere individuals, we are continuing to fail. We have yet to bear fruit worthy of the gospel. Now, the cynic will tell you it's always been this way, and it's not possible for us to do much better. And others, they might just blame God for making us this way. You know, we can't help but be wild grapes. It's our DNA. It's just nature. But I say this. We have everything we need to bear good fruit. We lack nothing. Listen to Isaiah speaking for the Lord. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that has not yet been done? What else is there for God to do for us that has not already been done? We have been planted here, given life, in the fertile soil of God's magnificent creation. Has God not provided for us? God, the divine gardener, has indeed enriched the soil and cleared away the stones. She has built a watchtower and a wine vat. God is ready. God is ready for us to bear fruit. But we have to do our part. We have to work toward social justice. We have to share God's vision, a vision of justice and righteousness. We need to love others as we love ourselves, which means standing up for the most marginalized in society. 
doing God's will is not always about being nice and pleasant either. Sometimes it's marching in the streets and demanding a change. And when we get discouraged, when we feel cut down, let us remember not only the dire warning of the prophets, but also their profound comfort and assurance. For a branch shall shoot forth from the stump of Jesse. It's never all over. God will never give up on us. God will always call us to new life and to transformation and resurrection. Second chances are possible. So let's try our best to make this harvest different. The soil is good and God is with us. Let us continue to grow, adapt, and change. Let us bear fruit that is worthy of the gospel. Thanks be to God, and amen.